Welcome to the third Amazing Race Canada for recap episode of the Your Team Number podcast from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Halmstone and joining me as always for this depressing podcast is the Canadian who gets so enraged sometimes we have to subtitle him Logan Saunders. Morning. Good morning. And I'm so depressed. I just I just finished watching this a few minutes ago because apparently I'm just like all of the other retirees here in Vernon and I was in bed before 8 o'clock last night. Yeah, Logan is an old man, officially. Yeah, I'm older than Stefan. You are older than 51. Older than 51, yeah. On my way out. So, previously, nine teams raced from Jasper to Calgary, where the roadblock saw one team member reach new heights, abseiling off the Calgary Tower. At the detour, most teams got their feet wet corralling fish, whereas Joel and Ashley conquered a crane simulator. Steph and Kristen pressed on to win the double express pass, which will be useless, while Jillian and Emmett fought their way to win another leg. Foot race for last saw Rita and Yvette in 8th place and Kelly and Kate in last, but survived by a surprise second leg non-elimination. You know what I thought during the uh, the titles? Steph and Kristen's head turn is still majestic. Yeah, with the, with the baseball bats? It is pretty impressive. There's no hair flip, though. There's no Tiffany and Krista hair flip. And with that, we have made our weekly Tiffany and Krista reference. Our weekly Tiffany and Krista shout-out. Yep. And- because I know full well that Krista gets very annoyed with me when uh, it doesn't happen. Yeah, she just wants to be the center of our attention. Who isn't? Gino and Jesse. They're the center of our attention, just for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> so Calgary, it has the stampede, it has dining, it has music, it has everything. It has Monty up on the roof. <laughs> yeah, Monty up on the roof. So, But apparently everything is just stampedes, dining, and music. There's nothing else that exists. Like, what? Well, what if it doesn't have cricket or like, um, like blue unicorns? Then it doesn't doesn't have everything, Monty. Then then he's just a big liar. Having been to Calgary uh, in 2014, I can guarantee that it is just all about stampedes and food and music, nothing else. Mm-hmm. And teams must now fly to Ho Chi Minh City in Vietnam and then take a taxi 100 kilometers to Kai Bay. Once there, they must find the tourist dock to sign up for water taxis for the morning. And did you notice how much money they had on their uh, card this week, Logan? 360 It was, but in what currency? US dollars. Everyone's going to be so angry online. Why can't they do it in Canadian currency? Well, American currency uh, is kind of more uh, generally accepted internationally than the Canadian dollar. Especially when filming would have happened, which would still be when the Canadian dollar is just pure crap. It was indeed $360. American! Oh, you were going for a Jan Gentry reference. I should have known. And you're going to do that three more times before the end of the season. Logan, Logan, Logan. Every time I go for a Jan Gentry reference, that is kind of the fun of when they give out US currency on Amazing Race Canada. Mm -hmm. What they should do to piss off the casual fan is to just rotate between all of the other international currencies on international legs and never have Canadian dollars when traveling abroad. So they can go like Japanese yen or... Um, Thai baht. The, yeah, the, the Thai baht. Just for Emma. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, just for Emma, yeah, because, I mean, he really... Well, apparently he was so... Uh, the heat really got to him that he thought he was in Thailand. I mean, he, he was really trying to channel his inner Kevin and Drew. Next thing you know... Uh, they're going to be in, uh, I don't know, somewhere in Manitoba, but he's going to be thinking that's Peru or Namibia. I really, really hope that next week they give them 
uh, their money in uh, Vietnamese dong because it's going to blow their minds. Vietnamese dong. I hear Stefan Christen won't be too keen on that. It's. Uh, I'm ignoring that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it it blows your mind when you go to McDonald's in Vietnam and it's like fifteen thousand dong and you think shit. That's so expensive. And that's like three quid. Okay, this is a funny story. Yesterday, somebody in town called in a bomb threat to a McDonald's just here in town, so they had to evacuate the whole plaza. Yeah, it used to. It was right in the plaza, right by where I used to live for for about fifteen years. Yeah. Vernon has a McDonald's. We have three of them. Yeah, I think we have three of them, and uh, they had to evacuate the whole plaza. So Subway. Philo, Tim Hortons, um, the hair salon, and a couple of other places in the pizza place. Um, they all had to be evacuated, so everyone just had to hang outside while the cops uh, checked out McDonald's for a bomb. They didn't find anything, but they were they got a phone call saying that the bomb was going to detonate at 3 p.m. It was like an episode of 24, except with a really bored teenager who uh, was stuck at home because it's not good enough weather to go to the beach, and this was the only way to entertain himself. I'm just shocked that the uh, that there's enough people in Vernon who like McDonald's, given that it skews about 80 years of age. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I only go there about even even when I was a kid, I didn't really like McDonald's at all. I would only go there about once or twice during the summer for a McFlurry, and now they've shrunken down the size of the McFlurries here, so it's not even worth it anymore. Yeah, the U.S. and Canada has weird McFlurry flavors as well. We just have normal ones like Dairy Milk and Crunchy. That's weird. Yeah, from what I've seen, the US especially, but Canada as well, just has weird ones. Wait, well, what do you consider weird? Because we like Smarties, McFlurry, I think, like, Rolo's a common one, or uh, Crispy Crunch, Turtles. Chocolate Turtles, that is. I was going to say, you eat baby turtles in McFlurries, because that's weird. Yeah, those animal rights activists like myself aren't really too keen on uh, having turtles in our ice cream. I can't can't see any examples of weird ones now. I'll get back to you with that. Was it like creme brulee? That was a that was one of the flavors we had for a limited time. That sounds awesome. <laughs> yes, uh, Nick and Sabrina's taste buds are being activated as they listen to this podcast. And Jillian and Emmett left at one forty nine a.m. with Stefan and Antoine at three o seven. They really crushed it in these first two rounds. They really did. Nobody even yeah nobody even came close to them. They owned Alberta. It's not even like with the first leg where they had sort of an advantage from the roadblock. They just crushed it. Yeah, they made Alberta their bitch. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Stefan and Antoine at 3.07, Frankie and Amy at 3.39, Joel and Ashley at 3.53, Anne and Tanya 4.45, Stefan and Kristen 5.05, Julian Lowell at 6.17, Rita and Yvette at 6.38, and Kelly and Kate at 6.43. So they were almost five hours behind in Calgary compared to Emin and Jillian. And that's, they were just in that same city for the whole day. Yeah. And most interestingly, why were Kelly and Kate five minutes behind Rita and Yvette? That is a good question. Because they would they were seconds apart. They must have had a minor penalty of sorts. Maybe Rita and Yvette had a, uh, like a battery change or something. So they were given a five-minute time credit. Like that would probably be the most reasonable solution. Yeah, that that just confused me when I saw it. And uh, Antoine has been to Vietnam before. Which will prove to be a huge advantage during this leg. Spoilers. And uh, Steph and Kristen hate to lie to people. But they did it anyway. It, it, it physically pained them on the inside. Like, if you, if, if you put a microscope in there, you just see their hearts just splitting right in half. Like, they, they could have made that one half of their heart into a horcrux if they wanted to. And I know that we are on record as hating the Double Express Press, but this is the way to play it. When you have a challenge like that, don't tell anyone you got it. Just say, we searched through so many crates after an hour and we just gave up. So, yeah, now this is the most interesting form of the Express Pass we have seen pretty much ever, where a team is just flat out denying that they even have it. But it could become a problem, because they've got to give it out by the end of next leg, I think. It would be great if they get if they get eliminated before they give it out. Yeah, because they have to give it out before the end of the next round, eh? I've got a feeling it was the fourth leg that Monty said last week. Yeah, I think so too. 
So they've got to give it out next week, which means it's going to get mentioned in the uh, previously on the Amazing Race Canada, and probably become a major topic of conversation next week. Boring, but it might come back to bite them if there's a U-turn fairly soon. If people find out that they gave Kelly and Kate an express pass, for example, that is un-Canadian. And that Steph and Kristen are just a bunch of liars. They should give it to Anne and Tanya. But interestingly, after this round, Kelly and Kate, Rita and Yvette and Anne and Tanya are all on the same um, average. Oh yeah, because Kelly and Kate skyrocketed well above their pair of ninth place finishes. And Anne and Tanya have been fluctuating a little bit, and Rita and Yvette have been just above the bottom, but not the absolute uh, bottom. Kelly and Kate and Anne and Tanya swap places this week, in terms of where they were on the average rankings. Mm. So, once teams get to the dock, they've got to sign up for the water taxis. And it's Stefan and Antoine, Stefan Kristen, Kelly and Kate, Anne and Tanya, Julian and Emmett, Frankie and Amy, Risa and Yvette, Julian Lowell, and Joel and Ashley. In that order. And god damn you, Monty, for reeling them off. Reeling them off? How so? Well, he said them so quickly. Yeah, he did. He, he was like, uh, um, yeah, he was like uh, channeling his inner twister by how fast he was going through the names. I know people criticize Monty for uh, for speaking quite quickly, but holy crap, he was reeling them off. I I ended up having to pause it after five teams and just uh, get the list properly. It's that Roger Rabbit quickness of his. It is. I've not seen any really depressingly uh, stupid comments yet this week. Which, oddly enough, is probably depressing you right now. Yeah, it is. It's just adding to my depression. So, once teams wake up in the morning, it's an active read info, which is to complete a shopping list at the floating market, which is written in Vietnamese. Once they deliver all four items correctly, they receive the next clue. And to help, they are given the boat or shop numbers that each item is at. And did you notice the subtle Mentos appearance during this task? Subtle? Subtle? <laughs> <laughs> Grey screen, blue Mentos. <laughs> Real subtle guys. Mentos, the freshest maker you've ever seen. I didn't know Rupert Bonham was uh, promoting Mentos. It should have been like a jump cut too, where it's like the grey screen of blue Mentos, and the camera jumps closer and closer to the Mentos until it occupies the entire screen. Mentos, not good. Oh my god, the Vietnamese really put the Mentos on a pedestal. I just want to see the conversation that production had with the shopkeeper. Yeah, can we just put this Canadian yeah. products on the shelf, please? We don't care about these rare, rare pots and uh, dolls and stuff. Let's just put this Mentos right in the center. Like, it's the most priceless thing you have in your shop. <laughs> and, shockingly, Kelly and Kate finish this task first. Yeah, who knew that a team who love shopping so much, and are so excited that they get to shop in a boat, of all things, that they would be first to complete the task. For all the crap that we've given Kelly and Kate in the past couple of weeks, they are quite natural in Southeast Asia. Yeah, because I didn't want to, like, with them being from China, I was going to pretty much eye-roll, induce an eye-roll to anybody who said, oh, Kelly and Kate should do really well in Vietnam, and I'd be like, ooh, why do you think that? But yeah, they actually do well in Vietnam, so... I'll spare, I'll spare every one of my eye rolls. I think production were as shocked as everyone else was. Yeah, like, it's like Kelly and Kate switch bodies with uh, Stefan this week. Yeah, why couldn't it have been an elimination last week, and then we could have had Stefan and Antoine in third? Yeah, then they would have just started out like seven or six hours behind everybody else. And it, it looks like they're all getting the same shuttle to Ho Chi Minh next week anyway, so... Equalizer. Exactly. I also like Kelly and Kate's over-the-top energy right from when they, when they leave the pit stop, too. It, all, it always cracks me up. Like, they're so hyper all the time. I think they were just happy to, you know, not be staying in Canada. Because this is the mark of a real team, how well you do outside of your own borders. I'm sorry mm -hmm. anyone who says that Amazing Race Canada is Amazing Race in Canada. No, you're wrong. Amazing Race Canada is all about worldwide. It always should have been. So any team who sucks here, you know, Jesse and not a good Amazing Race team. It really is. Like, the skill level of the team is truly determined by how they do outside of Canada. Because it's just so drastically different, and it really takes you up to the big leagues. And also, it's not like they could really communicate with the locals this week. No, I don't, I don't think Kelly and Kate speak Vietnamese, from what we saw. 
in contrast to Antoine, who's been to Vietnam before. Yeah, they were very, very rural this week. Mm-hmm. So, once teams have completed the shopping task, they have to take the ferry back to Kai Bay and find Ben Far, Kai Bay, Kwa Tan Vong to find the clue box, which contains their next clue. Which I think was just the ferry terminal in Kai Bay, let's be honest. Kai Bay? Kai Bay Bay? That's a, that's the latest uh, hip hop song that was released down there. They finally they finally adapted it for Vietnam. Like it took five years, but they have their own version of it now. And we get four teams: Julian and Emmett, Rita and Yvette, Anna and Tanya, and Joel and Ashley, who don't take the ferry and instead take their water taxi. They can't read. What we needed there was just a massive gong. Mm-hmm. The idiot gong sound effects. Does doesn't one of them play the gong? I thought somebody mentioned that they were a gong player. Not sure. I think it might have been Rita and Yvette. I thought they mentioned something about gongs. I love how Kristen gets distracted that she ultimately falls behind because other than being surprised that no one speaks English around there, that uh, she just, uh, they enter the water taxi, drops them off at the home of dogs, and then when she gets to the right place, she just gets distracted by all the puppies that are playing together. I would probably be in the same boat, or, or well, not the not the exact same boat in a literal sense, but in a figurative uh, sense. Yeah, there's this couple at work who train guide dog puppies, and guide dog puppies are almost always golden retrievers, and they've just got their third golden retriever pup, and it's so oh, yeah. it's so small that it does it can't even walk yet. They have to carry it in, and it's so cute. And every single person who walks past it just sort of stares at it and goes, "Oh, me included." I wonder if Lal will be ado- uh, adopting one of those puppies. I will recommend it for him because they're very, very cute. So once teams get back to Kai Bay, uh, it's a roadblock, which is who has all their ducks in a row. And in this roadblock, one team member must complete a switchback to 15's duck whispering roadblock and. Heard 20 ducks into their personal pen to receive their next clue. And this is Kate, Stefan, Gillian, Risa, Tanya, Ashley, Steph, Julie, and Amy doing this roadblock. Stefan was really the Steve Nash of this task because he assisted all of the other teams without, without scoring any of the ducks himself. Yeah, I don't understand this. And this is where I start complaining that we don't get exit interviews or don't get to do exit interviews because I would have loved to pick their brains about this. Why on earth did Stefan help them? I think he just wasn't really into the race too much anymore. I don't think he liked it there in Vietnam. That's my guess. It is very overwhelming in Vietnam, and I have been to Ho Chi Minh City, so it's it's gonna be more from me next week. But it, it kind of it just kind of reminds me of like when my dad plays games sometimes, because like my mother is way more competitive. I mean, my dad still likes to play games. Don't get me wrong, but I just remember being younger where. Like, my dad was playing games in groups and stuff. Sometimes he would try to get out of playing, or just, or if he just wasn't feeling it, he would just sort of half try at it, I guess, and really just be indirectly helping everybody else and just uh, find a way to lose in the process. I just can't understand why he helped so much. I mean, it's all right for the first team. If, you, if you're allied with, I don't know, Kelly and Kate or Jillian and Emmett, I think are quite close to Stefan and Antoine. If you're allied with Jillian and Emmett, then you try and help them. But in exchange, you say to Jillian, don't effing move. Help me. You don't just say bye. Yeah, but he didn't ask that for anybody. And I'm sure teams would have with how friendly they have been so far. The legacy that we need from a team like Stefan and Antoine is shouting at each other and other teams in French. That's how it works. Come on, guys. Live up to your legacy, please. Yeah, they just disrupted that whole what was expected of them. They disappointed us. I feel like channeling Tyra Banks here and saying, we were all rooting for you! We were all rooting for you. But yeah, I I think Stefan was just trying to find a way out of the race, in my opinion. You think he just thought, oh, we've had a good run. Our average is two and a half at the moment. (laughs) I don't know, like, I I just know people who can get like that, and... Maybe Stefan was thinking this Viet- these two rounds in Vietnam and another nine legs is just not his idea of fun. Yeah. And pretty much lived up to the original expectations that I had written about them, as opposed to the expectation-shattering 
uh, performance they've had in the first two rounds. And you know the most disappointing thing? This means Justin was right. Because Justin has been saying for two weeks on the race's recap, oh, I don't think Stefan and Antoine are long for this race. And I sarcastically said to him last week, well, after two legs, they've got a half a year average. Which he didn't take, can they? But this means he was right. No, that's not how it works. I'm supposed to be right here. That's what most disappoints me. Well, Justin's losing his YouTube channel anyway, so... By the look of things, yeah. You'll get the last laugh. I was thinking about this earlier. Even if we got a, a claim like that, I've still got all the audio files anyway, so I could just remake the videos. Yeah, sucked on that, YouTube. But please don't do anything like that, because yeah, it'll, it'll be, be a, a lot massive pain in the arse. I really don't have the time for that, sorry. So, we have... Uh, Joel and Ashley leaving in first, with Kelly and Kate in second, Jillian and Emmett in third, Anna and Tanya in fourth, Rita and Yvette in fifth, Steph and Kristen in sixth, and Frankie and Amy in seventh, and Julian Lowell in eighth. And I just have written down, Stefan and Antoine quit, FFS. Because this was my first expletive of the, uh, the leg. I love how I went to commercial of, uh, of, Antoine, of Stefan thinking about taking the penalty. Then they resume, and like within two seconds, Stefan's like, oh, okay, I won't take the penalty. So I'm thinking, oh, they're just going to finish the task then. And then five seconds later, they take the penalty anyway. And yeah. you can hear Raul Julia Zambison from Street Fighter yelling, game over, in the corner. Yeah, it was at that point that I paused my coffee of it and just went, oh, no. I've made a huge mistake supporting them. So what's that supposed to be like... Uh, Joe from Arrested Development. I made a huge mistake. <laughs> Weirdly, I wasn't doing, doing that Joe deliberately, given that uh, Joe did appear in your in one of your vlogs in the past couple of days, didn't he? Yeah, the funniest complaints. They're illusions, Michael. <laughs> Tricks someone to hold on somebody. Oh, candy. So, once teams complete the roadblock, it's another active route info which is carrying two ducks to the land market and delivering them to receive their next clue. And hands down, this is the meanest task that Razor Race Canada have ever done. For Kelly and Kate, considering they hate birds and fish, and now they've had two weeks in a row of birds and fish. Not only the Kelly and Kate factor, but the fact that they, when teams got to the market, the guy took the uh, ducks off them and then killed them, basically. He took them to a cage to be eaten. They weren't eaten yet, though. For all you know, it's just he, he, he would protect the, the ducks that the Canadians brought in. I mean, Ashley's reaction to it almost made the banner this week. Almost. Well, Joel could have just told her that the ducks are going to a farm. He basically did. <laughs> Joel's response was, oh, no, he's just putting them to a cage to make them safe. Yeah, <laughs> to make He's just played them into a cage to play with their other friends. They're definitely not going to be chopped up and eaten in a market that's full of other meat. Yeah, knowing full well that they're probably going to be on the menu at the pit stop tonight. <laughs> yeah, that's just... Actually, yeah. There's some turducken. We have, like, seven bird roasts in the UK, by the way. I don't know whether I've ever mentioned this. I can't remember what the seven birds are. But it's definitely turkey duck chicken. I think guinea fowl is one of them. <laughs> What? You guys are monsters over there. There is indeed a company selling seven bird roasts, and there's actually a branch pretty much next to where I work. Jeez, seven birds. That's all the bird food groups. You've got your condor, you've got your, uh, you've got some duck. Yeah, vulture, ostrich. Oh yeah, vultures, yeah. Emu. Every, you know, like, those things shouldn't even exist. They're just annoying in uh, Donkey Kong country anyway. A seven-bird roast is turkey, duck, goose, guinea fowl, pheasant, partridge, and quail. This must be a really posh butcher that I'm looking at, actually. And then you put, just pour it in beet juice, and you've got a perfect meal from Shroot Farms. That's their diet. But yeah, seven-bird roasts sound disgusting. As a vegetarian, it really does. As a meat-eater, it sounds revolting. I'm much happier just sticking with my turkey at Christmas, thank you. And... The market is also where Kelly and Kate find their speed bump, which is to transport 20 toads across the market before being able to continue onto the detour. The speed bump was really, really easy, but it seemed like it was also specifically designed to freak out, uh, to freak out Kate. 
considering they just had to carry ducks, and she got out of carrying ducks because Kelly decided to be a mother instead of a model. And then with these toads, I mean, Kate had to carry them to make up time. Granted, I don't think that speed bump took more than ten minutes. Weirdly, though, not the worst speed bump we've seen. Well, yeah, it's not untying a knot. It's not untying a knot, it's not sitting on an ice chair, it's not the sound boost. It's not transporting a typewriter or whatever that thing is that Caroline and Jennifer had to carry. Or the ham as well, they had the big ham hock. The what? The ham what? The ham hock, the massive sort of leg of ham. Hmm. A new term for you there. Yeah. I seem to remember they had to transport a massive load of ham at some point. So, it's also the detour, which is vibrate or hydrate. And in Vibrate, teams must watch and learn a drum. Amazing Race Canada loves its dances. And perform it to get their next clue. If you uh, hated the height tasks of the first two weeks, congratulations. We have reverted back to the Amazing Race Canada tradition of throwing in some dances. Yep. And in Hydrate, teams must load 60 coconuts onto a sandpan and then transport them upstream to get their next clue. The upstream bit, of course, being a tribute to Suki and Jinder. Mm-hmm. It definitely was. That, that was definitely the intention of production. They're like, oh, we got to do our Suki and Jinder uh, dedication at one point. May as well be now. Do you remember when uh, everyone hated Suki and Jinder and we were their biggest cheerleaders? And then, you know, everyone came around on them. Ah, good times. Yeah. The, it's funny that with the, the detour option was called Hydrate, since the exact opposite is what occurred for many of the teams. Yeah, it was ironic, given that I think two team members and two um, crew members got hospitalised, if I'm not mistaken. Or as uh, one particular person online pointed out, that it was over 40 degrees Celsius, or 55 degrees Celsius, I think Gillian said. I don't think it was that warm, because that is like world record temperatures. I think the, the world record is about, I think it's 57 because when I was um, in Vegas, they were having a heat wave about two weeks later, and we went to Death Valley, and I think it was it was about five degrees Fahrenheit colder than the world record when we were there, like two weeks before. Especially with Monty, you know, Monty being a ginger and all, like he would probably die in that heat. I love that Monty actually had to go on one of the articles that came out about them going to Vietnam and uh, and say, "I'm a ginger. I burn really easily." Yes, Monty, we know. <laughs> That's why you compete in the Winter Olympics as opposed to the Summer Olympics. And talking of Gillian and Emmett, they have a weekly massive fight on the boats. <laughs> this was brilliant. Just her switching out the life jackets, um, then yelling at, at Emmett, don't tip the boat, don't tip the boat, whatever you do, don't tip the boat, you're not even listening to me, you're just ignoring me. And then Emmett just sitting there silently the whole time. You never listen to me, Emmett. Yes. You never listen to me. <laughs> Classic. And in another comparison to Haley, she's getting all the shit off the Facebook page. Yes, as opposed to the controversy presuming to be uh, production leaving Canada, it's instead just squarely aimed at Jillian, which is great because now people accept international travel more. That complaint's only secondary. Well, there's something I need to bring up about that eventually in this podcast, put it that way. Yes. There's something that I noticed at the end of the episode. Did you happen to notice in the credits that it said, and I quote, Travel assistance by Air Canada. Oh, they still referenced Air Canada? They did indeed give Air Canada a shout-out in the credits. Ooh. Which basically means that our hope that Air Canada had been abandoned, they just aren't sponsoring anymore, they're just providing travel assistance. Okay, well, there's no real other airlines within Canada that would fly to Vietnam anyway. Yeah, but come on, at least they showed the Air Canada logo quite prominently again when they were checking in for the flight. Oh yeah, at least it's not like before where like it was always an equalizer every round because they always threw them on the same Air Canada plane blatantly. Acknowledge that it's a co-chair though. Don't just let Air Canada provide it. And um, and Antania are Italian Vikings again. Yeah, they reprised that role. They're, at least they got a bit more uh, three-dimensional in, in this episode. And uh, Gillian gets so enraged that she gets subtitled as well. Not in French, though. She didn't, she didn't get subtitled in French, unlike uh, Stefan. And uh, I hear Stefan and Antoine's um, family are coming to their defense on every page. 
every single page out there. Um, yeah, I think I don't know what it is exactly, but they they're just taking things. They're taking the experience and the response on social media way too seriously. Even I got involved somehow. I don't know how, but it happened. <laughs> yeah, Logan, get away from Pokemon Go and and start being nice to people for once. I don't even mention Nintendo once on the page, and somehow I got attacked for being a Nintendo fan. What, what's wrong with Nintendo? I know the Wii U has been a bit of a flop, but why why have they got to take a dig at Nintendo? Come on now. I mean, to be fair, Logan hasn't started playing Pokemon Go yet because he's not got a smartphone yet, but I have. I'll take the Pokemon Go heat. Have you heard of the that somebody put a coughing in a Holocaust uh, yes. war, uh, memorial? <laughs> oh, so inappropriate. Just... Inappropriate on so many levels. Especially when Niantic, the company behind Pokemon Go, said that Pokemon can be found in their natural habitats. And I'm just thinking, don't say that when when a coughing is at the Holocaust Museum. <laughs> Please, for the love of God, don't say that. There was a whole new segment on TV here, just talking about all the crazy things with Pokemon Go. For instance, there is that story of the one where the, what was it, the 19-year-old that was led to a dead body? Yeah, like, we the 19-year-old with a dead body in Wyoming. There was the guy who caught a Pidgey while his wife was giving birth. There was a coughing in the Holocaust Museum. Uh, there was people getting mugged. I work in a pharmacy, so I'm expecting to see a bunch of uh, Nurse Joys uh, hanging around in Pokemon Go. The problem I have with Pokemon Go is that it really doesn't work when it comes to like the eggs. Because to hatch the eggs, just like on Pokemon games, you have to walk or ride your bike for a while. But does it recognize how far a distance you're traveling? Does it hell? It's so, so low when it comes to that. And some of the eggs take 10 kilometers of walking to do. Oh man, they could, they could, uh, I'm doing a 10 kilometer race on Sunday. So you're saying somebody could be signing up for that race just for the sole purpose of knowing that they are guaranteed to hatch that egg by the end of the Sunday run. Yeah, the problem is it, it's not a guarantee purely because it doesn't recognize it properly and would probably only say about 2k. Oh, right, because it's got to be, so if you're running in the middle of nowhere, what, the GPS won't uh, track it properly, I guess, eh? Well, even when you're in the middle of a city, like I was in the middle of Manchester this morning, and there was nothing. It did not recognize it, and it took forever for a two-kilometer egg to hatch. And it wasn't even a good one. I was hoping for the starters, but nope. It instead gave me a... Um, Radita? A Zubat and a Magikarp, I think, were my two Oh, that's not much better than a Radita. No, it really isn't. <laughs> but in all seriousness, though, I mean, it has only been a couple days since Stefan and Antoine have been eliminated. So, especially the circumstances under which they were eliminated, where people have called them failure, failures or call Stefan a quitter. Um, I think it just needs a bit more time and then everyone in that whole group will relax and just find the humor and everything. But for now, it, it probably still stings a little bit, I guess. And above everything else, you do have to remember, there is no one more cut up about this than me. I was rooting for them. Yes, you endorsed them heavily. You were like the... Um, you were like the Oprah to Obama. Like That endorsement was pretty high up there. Exactly. I have one ride on I team a season, and sadly, I had to wear black for this podcast. Again. I'm wearing a black shirt right now. I'm, I'm halfway there. So, Stefan Kristen and Anna and Tanya both switch from uh, Vibrate to Hydrate. Yeah, who, who, knew, who knew that Stefan Kristen would initially choose Vibrate? But, anyways. Uh... <laughs> Seriously, we've had the Vietnamese dong joke already in this podcast, Logan. <laughs> Um, I'm, uh, I'm, that'll, that'll be the last one, I swear. I swear it'll be the last one. That's even in my notes when the episode was airing. And Lowell makes a pun. He makes a Bob Dylan pun. Really? Lowell makes puns? Yeah, a Bob Dylan pun, which would make my dad very happy. Because uh, there is the guy at the end of the... I can't remember, was it the detour? The hydrate task, where the guy at the end was named Mr. Tan? No, that was the guy in the market, wasn't it? Yeah, it was the guy in the market. And then Lowell refers to him as Mr. Tambourine Man. Come on, Lowell. Make a reference to a song that's less than 50 years old. Lowell is attempting to dethrone Alan Wu as Tar's best pun master. Yeah, like, 
I can just see Alan just watching the episodes from his couch and just, I don't know, crushing escargot in his hands out of anger from his hotel room. Yeah, the problem is there's going to be a fight back because Wu hasn't filmed Amazing Race Asia yet. He's still filming Amazing Race China because he was, he's, in, he's in Southern California right now. He's in L.A. He was right in near the Griffith Observatory. I just saw a picture on uh, Facebook this morning. Doesn't he live in L.A. part of the time, though? Or did he actually say that he was filming there? No, because there's a whole crew and everything. Like, there's cameras on him and stuff. Like, just before... I uh, forget where he was. Was it Greece? Did they start in Greece? Yeah, they. Greece was the first country. Oh, okay. But I've got a feeling that Wu does live a bit in Hollywood as well. I think I think he has a house there. Not a Sentosa Wave house, though. That That's just exclusively in Singapore. It is. On the subject of the Sentosa Wave House, how would you do with the Sentosa Megazip? Which when was the Megazip? Megazip was in season sixteen, that massive zip line. Oh yeah, that'd be awesome. I thought you weren't great with heights. I mean, I'm not, but I would still want to do it just just to say I've done it. I like I did a ropes course in uh, Revelstoke for the first time just recently, and an adventure ropes course. And I was just freaking out and sweating and shaking the whole time. But I'm glad I did it. It was the rock climbing wall that I ultimately couldn't climb up, though. That was annoying. I was so disappointed that when I found that out, because that was one of my plans for when you come over here. We have a lot of ropes courses around here. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, we've, we've totally got to do that, then. You can see me like get confused with the carabiners. Like, a, like I slept... I, I think a couple of my fingers were bleeding by the end of the ropes course because of the carabiners cutting into my hands. <laughs> when I was in London in February, I did a um, a ropes course there in one of the parks, which was awesome. But I completely messed up one of the zip lines and uh, managed to cut my hand open. Ooh, I, I didn't even make it to the end of the one zip line. I forgot to grab the rope and then I slowly went backwards and got stuck in the middle. And then the instructor had to drag me by my shoe to the end of the zip line. Because before, before, during the orientation, she said, there's always going to be one person in each group, and they're going to have that one time where they're going to miss the zip line, and then I'm just going to leave you hanging there for a while, and you're going to be all embarrassed. And then after I was end up being that one person, when she was grabbing me by the shoes, she even said, I told you, there's always that one person, and it ended up being you. Yeah, I um, my my original plan was to just uh, strap a GoPro to you and um, record your screams, basically. <laughs> Should have done on the biggest roller coaster. That would have been something. <laughs> yeah, the the one that I want to take you to has a uh, 198 meter zip wire over a reservoir. Wow, that is a very yeah. very long one. 198 meters, like for Usain Bolt's, would that take like 20 seconds of his sprinting speed to do that? And for the record, I will be doing it with you. I, I'm not great with heights. I'm better with heights than I am with falling. I don't like falling. So, you know, I'll probably be screaming as much as you will. <laughs> but that's the plan, at least, when Spain eventually gets back to you. Oh, they still haven't gotten back to me. Anyways, back to the race. Um, uh, did we talk about Joel and Ashley at the detour? Uh, no. Okay. So, yeah, with uh, it's funny because with the drumming, you know, with Amazing Race Canada, if there's any dancing task, it can be a lot of attempts. And then, uh, but yet with this one, everyone seemed to have an easy time with it, except, well, except for Joel, because uh, he hadn't been dancing since uh, he was three years old. Granted, he wasn't like Ashley and hurt herself with the sticks, and it's like she hit herself in the face with the drumsticks. It was kind of hilarious. One thing that I did forget to mention is how awesome the custom graphics were for the roadblock. I know I like to mention the custom graphics for uh, Amazing Race Canada, but they had like a little duck counter on the roadblock. It was awesome. Yes, especially for Stefan when all the ducks <laughs> were, in a, were in a row. They were just in a row going the wrong way. Yeah, uh, and how it went down. <laughs> 18, 17, 16, 15, 14, 13, 12, 11. <laughs> all the way down to two. What do you mean you only have two ducks? I can't possibly calculate two ducks. Let's make it 200. And that was Logan counts backwards. <laughs> yes, I'm like the I'm like uh, the opposite of a song from Sesame Street. Yeah, you're the reverse count. <laughs> Twenty. Ah ah ah. 
So Joel and Ashley are the first to leave Vibrate, with Julian and Emmett leaving Hydrate in second, Kelly and Kate leaving Vibrate in third, Steph and Kristen leaving Hydrate in fourth, Rita and Yvette leaving Vibrate in fifth, and then Stefan and Antoine switch from Vibrate to Hydrate, uh, Frankie and Amy leave Vibrate in sixth, and then Tanya gets Heatstroke. <laughs> well, that's just it, eh? Tanya gets Heatstroke and then it's all over. This is by far, besides saying that they're really good drivers and apparently almost driving all the way to Edmonton on the first leg, this is the most interesting, most in-depth thing to happen to them so far this season. And, I mean, they, they previewed it at the end of last week, so you knew that, like, Tanya wasn't going to be medically evacuated. But she was, she was in trouble. She was in trouble. I have a lot of sympathy for anyone who gets heat stroke, because I basically got heat stroke when we were in Asia last year. It is not fun. But it did raise an interesting question, because Anne kept on going with the task. And I always thought the Amazing Race rule was that you couldn't go further than about 30 feet from your partner at any one time unless one of you is doing a roadblock. Yeah. So why was Anne allowed to keep running up and down? Uh, I, unless it was the coconuts were being delivered less than 30 feet away from the dock, which I highly doubt. Yeah, it, it looks further than that. I guess they made an exception in, in, that, in that situation. Because if I were Stefan and Antoine, I would be quite pissed off at that. Because Meredith and Gretchen had the same thing happen to them in Season 7 with uh, when uh, Gretchen uh, pretty much cracked her skull in the caves there. And then, and then Meredith was like, oh, she's so brave for making me do the rest of this task. She's such a trooper for making me do all the work while she has to be attended to medically. Oh, man. She put so much effort into this. I think he was less than 30 feet away from her, though, from memory. I don't know, because he, like, had, he, I mean, those caves, he was had to search all the way through it. And she was on the surface. I mean, maybe there's a rule regarding medical situations where one partner can, can be further than 30 feet away, because maybe with medical, they have to pull them over to a special location at certain times. And Julie and Lowell leave Hydra in 7th, with Anne and Tanya in 8th, and Stefan and Antoine in last. And teams must now take a water taxi to the Mekong Lodge, the pit stop for this leg of the race. The last team to check in here may be eliminated. You know what annoys me about all the music licensing and stuff is that we didn't get to hear Reed and Yvette sing any Janet Jackson songs. I was, re- I was, ready, I was ready for the Janet Jackson songs. Maybe not the one from the Super Bowl, but still... I was expecting something. Yeah, th- that Super Bowl performance is famous for something else, Logan. <laughs> I don't think anyone cared about the singing for that. Yeah, uh, hopefully Monty wasn't hoping to play the role of Justin Timberlake. Uh, then he, he would be fired so quickly. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> Rita and Yvette running to the pit stop and Monty's acting as uh, Timberlake. Um... And Joel and Ashley are the first team to arrive, but receive a 30-minute penalty for not taking the ferry. Has there been any Janet Jackson songs that involve drumming? I'm not a Janet Jackson aficionado, I'm sorry. Oh man, we really need to hire somebody to come on the podcast to be our Janet Jackson expert. Yeah, anyone who knows a lot about Janet Jackson, can you send us a tweet at RTV Warriors, please? I know she did a song for Nutty Professor, but I don't remember that song having any drumming. Nutty Professor 2, I think. Fun fact. Uh, but yeah, I don't know how they equated drumming with Janet Jackson, though. I, I think it's two very different uh, skills needed to be musically inclined. That'd be like saying, like, oh man, I'm really good with the hamster dance, so I should be a pro at heavy metal. Stranger things have happened in Hammerot, Slogan. <laughs> um, and we had a question from Michael Jenks on this very topic. MJ? Yep. Leo himself. And- says, why didn't they add time gained uh, to the penalty on top of the 30 minutes? It's Amazing Race rules. I don't think they've done that rule for... uh... Oh yeah, for the ferry, they did that with Jess and Diana. And the simple answer is that it's 30 minutes plus time gained. If teams don't gain any time by not taking the ferry, they don't get an additional penalty for it. I could see that water taxi being slower than the ferry. Yeah. Just from the editing, it didn't seem like they gained that much time at all. It's just that I love that Joel and Ashley got to be first place and win the prize to Japan, even after... Spoilers? I'm not going to that bit, yeah? <laughs> I'm 
I know I'm jumping ahead, but it's just so awesome that they had that 30-minute penalty in first place, and nobody passed them. So they still got to win the trip and the prestige of winning the leg. It's like it's it really is the equivalent of flipping everybody else off that's left in the race. Like even with the penalty, I'm still better than you. Like that's 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 pretty badass. When was the last time that this happened, where a uh, a team checked in first with a penalty? I can't think of a time. Do you have the answer? No, I can't think of a time for a while. You'll tell story. You should know these things. I even asked that question online, and nobody nobody remember no nobody can remember an instance of that happening, or at least in the U.S. version, and certainly not in Canada. So yeah, as Logan said, it didn't matter at all, and they check in first and win a trip to Tokyo, which is awesome. I hope when I'm on the Amazing Race Canada, that's one of the locations they go to. I really want to visit Japan on the Amazing Race because it's such a It'd be such a challenge to go there. Plus, there's a chance that I could go to the Nintendo headquarters. Yeah, but you know full well they'll do a Japanese game show if they go to Japan. Ah, that's true, too. Well, if they balance out Nintendo, if they have a Nintendo task, I can accept a Japanese game show task. They won't have a Nintendo task. But they better have Samurais involved, too. I want my Samurais. Unless they have a fast-forward that is um, beat this staff ghost on Mario Kart 8, it's not going to happen, Logan, I'm sorry. Boo, Ernst. Or they have, like, Japanese mixed, mixed martial arts there, because that's... I mean, I'm a huge fan of the Pride Fighting Championship when it was around for 10 years, and I would love if they could have some sort of task relating to that, especially when one of the Japanese MMA fighters was involved in a task for the Amazing Race 26. I just want them to copy anything from um, Dutch Mole when it went to Japan. There's a season of Dutch Mole in Japan? Yes. This is why you should watch this program. It was awesome. The traditional laser tag game was um, was done by ninjas. It was awesome. What? Ninjas? Ninjas? And that season has the coolest Meet the Mole game ever in the history of Meet the Mole games. I can't remember really whether the English language versions do this. But there's one challenge each time, which is, here's a great opportunity for you to find out exactly who the mole is very quickly, if you do it perfectly. So like the the South Africa one had um, answered these two questions correctly, and you'll get to ask the mole one question. If you get both questions right, then they'll have to tell the truth, otherwise they can lie if they want to. Wow, that is quite the twist. Yeah, that did not make it into the US version, or the Australian version. I won't tell you what the Japan one is, but it's awesome. And it's really, really sneaky when you find out the uh, trick to it. Anyway, Steph and Kristen check in in second, and Gillian and Emmett are the third to arrive, but thanks to their penalty, Kelly and Kate are actually the third. Did you see Gillian's face when she was assessed with the penalty? She seemed so dazed from the dehydration that it's like she didn't even process it. She didn't even verbally respond to the penalty. She's like, oh, okay, I'll take your guys' word for it. I'm just glad the round is over. Yeah, this is the first time they've not checked in in first as well. They suck. (laughs) From first, first to fourth. Weak. (laughs) Must try harder, guys. Yeah. Come on, 2.0 average. this This is amateur hour, guys. But yeah, it's just funny that, like, Jillian was, you know, calling eminent idiot, and then he he wouldn't even respond to her, and then Monty tells him the penalty, and then Jillian doesn't even respond to him, but yet Monty doesn't call Jillian an, an idiot. Like, this is just such great material all around. So yeah, so this is the first episode where Eminent Jill or Jillian specifically does not say anything that contains any sort of innuendo. And yet she's going to be our stinger, because her shouting at Emmett is divine. I ripped the audio from the episode, um, last night and actually just went through the Jillian and Emmett shouting match or the Jillian shouting match and Emmett just sitting there passively just to find the best clip you're gonna tip the boat Emmett (laughs) why don't you listen to me Michael you never listen to me so yeah Jillian and Emmett checking in fourth and Rita and Yvette are the fifth to arrive but thanks to their penalty Frankie and Amy are actually fifth Rita and Yvette are sixth uh, Julian Lowell. Lowell plays the role of George of the Jungle at the end there by running into that tree. It's like he didn't see it. Oh, Logan. <laughs> Imagine if the pit stop greeter was completely oblivious to, to Lowell's uh, 
vision impairment and then just starts making fun of him for running the tree incessantly and then everyone just stands around awkwardly until somebody tells the guy like hey you know you you, you can't really make fun of lol for that like that could have been a super awkward moment you just want to trade in awkwardness for this episode well i mean it was i mean it was still a really good episode but just like i'm just curious how the pit stop if the pit stop reader was like laughing too hard at what went down and the pit stop greeter just feels really bad for laughing because it's like, well, I, he didn't have that information before, but now that he does, now he feels like he feels like a huge jerk. To be fair, it wouldn't be the most inappropriate greeter we've ever seen, thanks to the Humpy Dane. Yes, I was telling Mark about that uh, a few days ago about how Denmark is infamous in uh, the Amazing Race purely because of a humpy dog. That's the country's legacy. Forget Hans Christian Andersen. It's a it's a dog that invades the privacy of the contestants when we went to the little mermaid for some reason there was people diving right behind it like in full scuba suits and i would not want to be swimming in that water having been there denmark is just known for bad water well it's quite a busy shipping lane oh i see yeah it's very industrial industrial type water i guess yeah it's a river that goes through copenhagen that they were swimming in basically Mm. but yeah the the water didn't look very nice not like the river thames bad but it didn't look very nice was i the only one amused by the three-way sprint between Evan and jillian and uh kelly and kate and steph and Kristen? because they were all so close together but it was a really narrow pathway for them to run through so it was really awkward to see them try to switch direction without running into each other yes you were okay <laughs> All right, let's let's move on then. By the way, I still think that Steph and Kristen and Emin and Jillian are probably going to be dominating a huge chunk of the season. Because Steph and Kristen, you know, the only reason why they finished slightly down last round is because they wasted over an hour trying to get the double express pass. And then this week, Emin and Jillian and Steph and Kristen were both right in the top tier. Like, no one's... Joel and Ashley have been the only team that's proven to be truly competitive with them since the first round. And the only other team besides Joel and Ashley uh, happens to be the team that gets eliminated this week. And Joel and Ashley now uh, second in the averages. Very important fact to know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Anne and Tanya are the seventh team to arrive thanks to Lowell headbutting a pillar. He's a basket case. He is. It is merely a flesh wound. Mm-hmm. And he, hey, Michael, you didn't... Isn't The Lion King like one of your favorite movies? You didn't note uh, Lowell quoting The Lion King. I acknowledged it earlier with the uh, I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. Oh, yeah. And yes, I do rather enjoy doing impressions of Scar, mainly because I know your powers of retention are as wet as a warthog's backside. And thick as you are, pay attention. My words are <laughs> a matter of pride. It's clear from your vacant expression. The lights are not all out upstairs. <laughs> The best Disney villain song. I defy anyone to um, to correct me on that. Be Prepared is the best Disney villain song ever. Mainly because it does feature a lot of lion puns. Mm-hmm. And is still quite impressive in foreign languages as well. The Lion King's one of the only films I know where you can get all the songs in, like, Mandarin. Mandarin? Yeah. Mandarin Lion King. Weirdly, I was talking um, to my colleagues about songs in different languages because there is a song that keeps coming on Works Radio. Um, by Girls Aloud called Can't Speak French. And I know for a fact that they released a French version of it called Je parle pas français, even though the whole sentiment of it is, I can't speak French. That's very, that's very contradictory. That doesn't make any sense to me. That's, that's a, which is a very French thing to have occur. But yeah, thanks to Anne and Tanya's uh, penalty, Julian Lowell checking in seventh, and Stefan and Antoine are the last team to arrive, and they've got a 4L penalty. Let's be honest, they weren't going to be... Uh, Overtaking Anne and Tanya. So, yeah, they get eliminated. Well, Anne went through that coconut task because, much like the nickname of every MMA fighter ever, Tanya refers to her as a pit bull. I was not aware that she was a uh, a rapper from Miami. Oh! Does this mean we get to uh, exile one of Anne and Tanya? To the furthest Walmart in, uh, in Alaska? What? I don't understand that reference. You don't know about Exile Pitbull? No. A couple of years ago, Pitbull ran a, um, a competition on his Facebook page for Walmart. It was in association with Walmart. He was going to do a gig at one Walmart store, and the one that got the most likes on their post, basically. So people took over this 
and found the furthest Walmart away from civilization, which was somewhere in the arse end of Alaska, and made it win. And it had something like three times the amount of votes as it did residents. What? This is like the Stephen Colbert Bridge in Hungary all over again. And to be fair to him, he did play the gig there. He was a good sport about it. Unlike Justin Bieber, who did a similar thing and asked for countries to be added to his world tour. And um, the top one was North Korea, I believe. (laughs) How do you not see that one coming? (laughs) Somebody doesn't understand the internet. Yeah, I I think Iraq was another one. He can perform for the troops. <laughs> but yeah, so Ann and Tanya, you know, they can wonder if they, if they get brought back for an all-star season, they, hopefully they get to go to Alaska and Anne can can relive uh, her, her cousin's dreams. And with Stefan and Antoine's elimination, it does mean that the Tark legacy of all male teams winning is broken. It's done. A woman will be winning the Amazing Race Canada this season. Granted, it was, it was a bit biased seeing how there was five all-female teams cast for this season. But still, both all-male teams, first two out. So, yeah, a woman is going to win. There are three dudes left. Three. And it's uh, the first ever First Nations male racer, a guy with a vision impairment, and, and some guy who made it to the end of the first season of Big Brother Canada. I don't think anyone would have predicted that. So, yeah. Next time, teams head to Ho Chi Minh City, and there is karaoke, bartending, and a food challenge. And as uh, our very own Anthony Williams said, that sounds like a normal night out for me. Karaoke, cocktails, and gross food. I should note that my friend who I've referenced before on this podcast, who has his own video blog that he does traveling through Vietnam over the past year, or even longer now, he uh, took a picture of a really tall building and it, was, it just said karaoke across the front of the building. Like the, It's just this really tall, it looks like a hotel, but it's just strictly dedicated to karaoke, apparently. And this is in Vietnam, so it's hilarious that it's, it's a Vietnam leg uh, within one of its major cities, and sure enough, teams are going to be doing karaoke. Calling it now, the pit stop will probably be the reunification palace, because that's always what happens when international seasons go to Ho Chi Minh City. Mm-hmm. I'm curious how, because uh, with the, the Vietnam leg, I've only seen it from the Amazing Race Asia perspective and then the Amazing Race US perspective, that where they've gone there several times to reference the Vietnam War. But I'm curious how they'll deal with, deal with Ho Chi Minh City from a Canadian perspective, since during the 70s there, Canada was very much opposed to that war, and we took in so many draft dodgers from the US, but yet... We're still a country that's strongly linked to America, and yet we're going to Vietnam for the Amazing Race. So I'm curious how they deal with that historical aspect of it. Yeah, and I have been to Ho Chi Minh City, so I can offer a little bit of um, insight of actually having been there and nearly melting there. <laughs> Only for the day, but still. You, you almost got Tanya when you were there, I'm guessing. It wasn't as warm as when we were in Macau. Macau was where I nearly got heat stroke. If only you got to be in the pool there that they got to be in for Amazing Race 27. If only you got to dive in there just to cool off. I did see a uh, an advert for that when we were there. Oh yeah, you are telling me, yeah. The House of Dancing Water. Mm-hmm. I wonder if any water Pokemon are there now. Probably. <laughs> I can see uh, Krista just diving off the platform 40 feet just to just to get a star you or a star me. Well, surely she would just about be unable to get a Goldeen. Goldeen, Goldeen. Goldeen, Goldeen. Goldeen, Goldeen. And is there anything else to say about this leg? Um, I guess we have to ser- serenade uh, Stefan and Antoine's exit. Yeah, I- I'm really sad. I had such high hopes for them. Because everything about them seemed awesome and seemed like the sort of team I would like. And, you know, my interactions with them agree with that. So, you know, I'm disappointed they only last three legs. Yeah, like, because uh, I had, initially I had really low expectations for them where I made the joke like, oh, they're probably going to finish ninth because that's Antoine's nickname. And then, you know, the first two rounds play out and they do extremely well. And then this round, it's, it's just, uh, they lose by like, well just under four hours against Anne and Tanya. Like, that's a huge swing. Like, there hasn't been a team 
with that high of an average to go home and uh, go home second in any of the Amazing Race Canada seasons. Anyone else who's been eliminated in the first three seasons has always had a really low average when being knocked out. Like, was it Susan Sharnjeet finished 11th both times? And then you have uh, uh, the Cowboys from season one, Jamie and Pierre, who were like eighth place back to back. And then and then in the second season, it was Sean and Jen who finished 10th place back to back. So this is the first time where a huge up- upset has occurred, like, especially considering that Kelly and Kate finished in third in this round. But then at the end of it, we find out that they traveled extensively to Southeast Asia. So maybe their advantage was a bit bigger than what we thought. However, Antoine had been to Vietnam itself. So we maybe we should give Kelly and Kate a bit more credit, which I will right now. It says it all that if I've mentioned my spreadsheet of everything Tar related before, and one of the metrics on there is the average number of teams beaten. And Stefan and Antoine are fourth out of all the Canada teams for that. Already? Already. There are only three teams, which is Hamilton and Michaela, Natalie and Megan, and Cormac and Nicole, who actually beat them. Wow. So they had a very strong legacy. They are below average in terms of the actual average placement, but they are fourth in terms of uh, Canadian average teams beaten. So they just had a terrible, terrible, terrible round of play. And it's all Dennis Hopper's fault. <laughs> Let's be honest, he probably had about another 20 minutes at most to get those ducks in. And it was way harder without anyone helping him. Yeah, like, was there ever an answer as to why nobody was helping, why Stefan couldn't get help when he was helping everyone else? No, I've not asked that. That was the thing that I said from earlier, that maybe Stefan was just over... Vietnam even before he got there or like within a couple of hours just not being comfortable there in contrast to Antoine who clearly was maybe this was just too much for Stefan and I mean the dehydration he stroke is a byproduct of what happened but he just didn't have that same interest or competitiveness that he had the first two rounds like he was just blindly helping the other teams which I know is gonna get me into hot water for saying but that's I can only go by the edit that I see on TV, and that's the that's my takeaway from it. And that's how Logan sees it. I mean, they were don't get me wrong; they were really entertaining, like the Stefan yelling in French, and you know, looking like Dennis Hopper from Speed was great, and just the back and forth between them. But I can't really endorse a team that took a four-hour penalty and did not perform all that well, especially when they sw- even switch from the. When he showed up to the drumming and switched from the drumming to the coconut task when he knew he was really far behind as well. Regardless of my other feelings about Stefan and Antoine, it says it all that Nick and Sabrina had them as their favourites. Because Nick and yes. Sabrina were my favourites last year. Mm-hmm. It's the legacy continuing. Yeah, like maybe this is the bridge that needs to happen with you know Stefan and Antoine's family and them getting angry on social media. Maybe the what they need to take away from this is that uh, it seems like a lot of teams, it's their, they think it's how well they do that will make the whole audience respect them, like uh, winning the season or getting second or third or just having a string of really strong finishes is what they view as counting. So when something that happens this leg with taking the four-hour penalty and having an abysmal performance... You know, just you know, just putting them really on the edge and getting really on the defensive with all the casual fans on the official page. Maybe the takeaway they need, which is how we view the race, which is it's way more important to be hilarious, entertaining, and compelling characters than it is to be serious contenders. My one request would be for Nick and Sabrina to have a viewing party with uh, Stefan and Antoine. Because I want to see that wondrousness in the same room. And you know Pierre and Michelle would not show up. Oh, 100%. Well, they would. We just wouldn't hear anything from them. Yes. Uh, And would the kayaking separatist from season three be there as well? Well, he lives in the Ilden Amanda Lane rather than uh, in Montreal, so that probably wouldn't happen. (laughs) Um... With with the kayaking separatist guy, I hear that he is going to show up to the bar there at the viewing party 
and he'll complain that the that the drinks there are going to cost him tens of dollars. Millions of dollars, thank you. <laughs> and uh, on that note, thank you for listening to the Your Team Noble podcast. You can join us every Wednesday for more Amazing Race Canada recaps, and one very important thing that I do need to mention is next week is the Logan Birthday Spectacular. Seeing as though your birthday is inconsiderately on a Saturday this year, it's halfway between episodes, so it's going to be next week. Uh, if you've got any questions, feel free to contact us on our Facebook page, RTV Warriors, on our Twitter account, RTV Warriors, or on our own Twitter pages, MJ Harmstone for me and Log Superwacky for Logan. Bye. Peace out. Vernon Town. We're going to unload them all and then we're going to come back and grab them. <laughs> <laughs>